When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven! Baltimore. Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. The playoff win. It took, a, it took some time. It took a few years. It took some hurdles. But it's, it's happened. Lamar is... Is, is is back to being the god. In Lamar we trust. In the Ravens we trust. So many things to talk about after the Ravens 20-13 to playoff win in Nashville, Tennessee over the Titans. One of the sweetest playoff wins that the Ravens have had in a long time. I am excited. I am Antonio Barbera. You can put those two in whatever order you like. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts who are hopefully as, as bouncy up as I am. Start with, with Tim Horsey. Tim. How's it going? Oh, man. First of all, you got to say it like Ed Reed. Baltimore! During the Super Bowl celebration. Second of all, I officially hate the Titans again. And we kicked the crap out of them in their place. Stomped all over their logo. That's how you do it, Juju, by the way. You stomp after the game, not before the game. And the Ravens are in the divisional round for the second year running. But this time, they earned it with a victory. Lamar talking to Lisa Salters afterwards. She asks, was Lamar Ball on full display? All he says is, oh, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Lamar is rolling. The Ravens are rolling. And I'm rolling. Let's go, baby. I'm so excited to talk to you guys today. And joined on the West Coast, Jace T. Evans. Jace, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going fantastically, Antonio. This was, as you said, the most satisfying, I think, just Ravens victory period for me since... 
probably I was celebrating Super Bowl 47 in Tim Horsey's apartment in college. Uh, this was, this just for everything it did, and we'll get into all the narratives it crushed and things it reversed and the talk about this team. It just see, it feels like such a weight lifted off the shoulders of this franchise. You know, I think we're, we've talked about us as Ravens fans, a spoiled fan base, hand up, we'll admit it, but um, they kind of won a playoff game in six years. It seems like given all their, you know, recent success and only one losing season even in that time span, so it wasn't like they've been a terrible team or anything, but uh, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I uh, I did not live in California the last time they won a playoff game. Uh, it's It's been a long time, and so it was just so satisfying to get the win, and the way they did it, and against this team specifically, uh, John Harbaugh literally called this, uh, I want to get the exact quote right, I jotted down here. He said, this may be the best win I've ever been associated with, which is notable for a wild card victory, considering the man has won a Super Bowl before. So, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm over the moon. I just, uh, so happy about this win, and so many things to, you know, discuss about it. You talked about narratives crushed. We got to start with uh, the biggest one, and that's the Lamar Jackson narrative. And we can we can talk about this as a uh, start versus finish because that's sort of been the problem with him in games that the Ravens have struggled in is the Ravens fall behind, there's an early turnover, and all of a sudden you don't know if this offense can work down two scores. So we'll turn to Lamar and his performance, starting with those first few possessions that first interception that was not a good one and then how he rebounded from that yeah turn on the simon and garfunkel for the start of this game hello (laughs) darkness my old friend we i legitimately thought that we were about to go through the same thing and the only saving grace was i had about 1500 calories that i could consume in front of me uh just by myself and then there was plenty extra for everybody else Tim, are we um, talking liquid calories, or, or is food also involved in this? Whichever you'd like, really. Okay. I mean, I, I prefer the memory-wiping one, but we can also <laughs> go with the food as well if needed. Um, it was it was bleak. And look, you know, you've listened to this podcast for a while. or If you haven't, Tim and Jace are definitely the pessimistic ones of the group, if you're just a new listener here for the playoff ride. If you are, welcome. Like, subscribe, share. And... The run in the second quarter where it seemed like they were playing contain on Lamar really good. He wasn't be able to break the pocket. This zone gap scheme that we're talking about, it was so annoying that the Titans just decided to show up finally against us, and that was it. And you have the drop, and you're like, Mark Andrews can't catch things in big games. And you have the interception. But then we get to the second quarter. And a run that might have been more impressive than the Cincinnati he is Houdini run because of who he outran and how many angles he crushed when people are trying to pursue him. In a moment that they needed it, you kind of went, oh, wait. He's here today. He's ready to play today. He's not losing this game today. Um, the one quote I just want to bring up a, a little a little early, I guess, just talking about Lamar in general, and then I'll let you guys have your say. This is from Marlon Humphrey, who, by the way, all-time post-game press conference, just digging into the Titans and just having a great time. Well, the fit with, was incredible. The fit, the, the, the drip was so good, as the kids say. He had, he had the cowboy hat, the cowboy boots, and the buckle from the last time he was in Nashville. He bought all those, so he decided to rock them again. Good old country boy Marlon Humphrey. But they talked about 
Uh, Lamar spoke to the team via Zoom on Saturday night. And the Marlins quote uh, postgame was, quote, great players. I feel like lead in a lot of different ways. Some of them are very vocal. Some of them aren't very vocal. And some are like Lamar. When he speaks, you know he means business. When he talked to the team last night, I, this is Sunday, obviously, I was sitting in my room on Zoom and I'm like, I know we're going to win the game tomorrow. I know Lamar is going to have a great game. The narrative that we talked about, and I, I hand up said it last week of, we can't, he can't put too much on his shoulders. This is how he's lost the last two playoff games, trying to force things. It seemed like that negative part of that was there early. And then the man flipped the switch and said, I am not going home to this sorry sack of Titans players who are mediocre at best. I am winning this game and moving these guys on. And to see that from him and, and the turnaround, because the narrative is, oh, they're down 10, it's over. The way he was able to rally this team, I thought, was just absolutely incredible. And Jason, I just want to recap those first few drives before we get your, your insight here, because it, it's telling, and there are some mistakes in those drives outside of the plays themselves. So the Ravens do go three and out on their first possession with the Mark Andrews drop, which the the announcing crew, I think they credit it as, as like a defensive tip. I didn't, don't think he tipped it at all. I think it bounced off of Andrews' chest, and he just didn't put his hands on it quick enough. On the second possession, the Ravens, in two plays, have gotten a first down. It is first and ten. We specifically talked about this type of interception that Lamar Jackson has thrown more than a handful of times now, seemingly. It's the first and ten play action. It's not really there, and he still throws the deep ball, which is one of his weakest attributes, but he still goes for it. That's the interception. Their third possession, they're now down 10 nothing, and this is the possession before the deep run, which is why, or the long run, I should say, which is why I want to address it quickly. The Ravens are in another third down. They're in a third and seven on that third possession, and it's a play that breaks down. Um, I, I'm not sure which secondary member of the Titans, but he has Lamar dead to rights on a blitz, and Lamar is able to scramble around him, roll to the right, and then you, at this point, I'm yelling, throw it away, because I'm waiting for the next mistake to happen. But he doesn't. He waits, he waits, he waits, and he finds Andrews on the sidelines for a first down. And I don't want to say that one third down conversion can save your season, but if there's ever uh, an early game third down conversion that can save your season, it's that one. Because I just envision <laughs> the Titans getting the ball back there, having a third score. If it's 13 nothing, if it's 17 nothing. The panic button is on, and it's pressed not only by the fans, but by the team, more than likely. But they're able to get that third down converted, end up getting a field goal to make it a 10-3 game. Everything settles in after that, and that's when Lamar sort of got more comfortable, Jace, after after that possession. Yeah, I love that you brought this up, Antonio, because that is like one of those weird, because hidden plays almost. Like, it's a huge play, a long third down, and you, you know, you convert for 17. Uh, but... It, it, it kind of gets lost in it because, you know, you do have these highlights of him 48 yards to the end zone. You do have uh, just the very impressive drive out of the second half. Um, but it was so important to get, I think, any points on that drive, like you said. Because, yeah, things were bleak after the first quarter. They're down 10 nothing. You have the horrible interception. I did have a very... Same feeling of, oh boy, here we go. And it was like, like almost comical how bad the start was. You're like, this literally can't have gone worse than it did. <laughs> Three and out interception in five plays of offense, uh, or six plays, I guess. But 
Um, but I think that's what makes this game so impressive from Lamar's side is he did settle down and, um, you know, just to, to, to quiet everyone, really. I mean, I think it's probably unfair. He just turned, you know, 24 this past week. So, and the, all the, the talk of, oh, he's 0-2 in the playoffs. It's like, you know, I think Peyton Manning lost, what, his first, like, four playoff games, uh, you know, Brett Favre didn't have exactly the greatest success right out of the gate in the playoffs, but uh, I don't know why. If, I don't know if it's just because we've talked about everyone likes to criticize Lamar. He's a, a media lightning rod in many ways, despite not really doing anything <laughs> to warrant uh, uh, that. But um, yeah, for him to settle down and just to to kick this stupid trend of, you know, he's owing to the playoffs. I don't even count the first year, his rookie year. That was such a, I don't think about that. Of all the Ravens playoff losses in their entire history, I think I think about the loss to the Chargers the least <laughs> by far. Um, but I think to do every, all that, what they did against this team really did matter. Um, I think just because, you know, the Titans are the team that kind of, the loss last year ending their greatest ever regular season, right? That is where this narrative developed that Lamar can't win in the playoffs, one playoff loss, but to just come back and settle down. And that run was spectacular. It just seemed like he was a lot more in control the whole second half. I didn't like, uh, or not even the second half last three quarters, really like you never felt, I never felt like in last year's playoff loss that things kind of went off the rails. I feel like, like I was expecting more turnovers and not, even though he had a ton of yards, I wasn't expecting the plays. But I think to just get everything back on track and settle down, um, I just think it's going to do wonders uh, for him and kind of just, you know, lift the proverbial monkey off his back, at least in terms of the media attention. Well, that's such a good point. I mean, you talk about the media attention. Pre-game, he was like, and this is why I just want to wax poetic about him for a little more <laughs> before we get to the defensive line, which I definitely want to talk about too. But – the men he in the pregame he had an interview with Lisa Salters and he said, "I got to win a playoff game." They're always criticizing me about a playoff game, and he dropped a line in there. He goes, "And you know, I'm going to win one, and they'll find something else." He knows, like he knows that he is always going to be this constant, as you say, Jace, media lightning rod because he's a quarterback who doesn't do quarterbacking the way people want the quarterback to quarterback, but he does it in his own way, and I wouldn't want anybody else under center. It's it's the combination. I'm. You can have every other quarterback in the league at, at this point. And yeah, you know what? It is a little purple tinted glasses today <laughs> because we're still celebrating, and that's fine. And I don't really care. It's not only the talent. It's not only the mind blowing plays, but it's the mentality of this guy. It's the confidence, and it is the way this team loves him. You look at the end of the game, that final run where he stays in bounds. And it's just a perfect encapsulation of how much this team loves each other because you have the entire sideline going nuts for Lamar. You have Marcus Peters, who we'll get to, trash-talking the defenders as Lamar's running by them, just screaming at them with his mask off. And everybody rallies around their leader, their 24-year-old leader. I referenced it before, but if you haven't heard the post-game interview with Lisa Salters, you have to hear it. He starts with how mad he is about the interception still. 
they win the game and he's talking about how pissed off he is about the bleep interception which he they had to bleep him on espn they had to dump it out <laughs> he immediately she tries to throw the question i don't fault her for it you have to ask the question about this was a game of uh, that was built between lamar jackson and derrick henry and he cuts her off and says no 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 no, no, no sorry it's it's baltimore versus tennessee this is our team versus their team our team was better today how do you not want to run through a wall for this guy? And the fact that it started with, you talk about that Chargers loss. The only thing I remember about that Chargers loss is watching it with a couple idiots who were screaming for Joe Flacco to come back in. And then you have these people that every time he doesn't do something remarkable, they're calling for him to be benched. Look, I'm here to say we can criticize players. I don't think that they're above that. And, and he has come under criticism this year, and he knows it. But some of the outlandish, ridiculous stuff just because he plays the way he does. Uh, Baltimore fans, 17-24 for 179 yards passing, 16 carries, 136 yards and a touchdown, and a playoff win against a hated rival. Appreciate what you have because, look, we hope he's going to be around here for a long time, but we don't know. And by God, I am you, Jace, Antonio, myself, We're leading the Lamar Jackson train with the rest of Baltimore, man, because I know he's bringing a Lombardi home at some point. He just, he has the mentality and and the drive and the talent, obviously, that there's no way, I'm saying it, there's no way he doesn't win at least one in Baltimore. And this year, still still a potential. Uh, Still potential. They're playing with house money now. They're playing with house money. Sorry, RG3 tweeted out earlier, we're going to go get our bike back after (laughs) before this game with Tennessee. This was their kitchen sink game, but now they're playing with house money. No one expects them to beat the Bills. I'm sure there'll be some people that want to talk themselves into it, but the national media, everybody loves Josh Allen now because he's had one good season with Brian Dayball. They forgot about the reigning MVP who's coming into Orchard Park next weekend. Like, let's, oh, let's go. I'm so excited for this team, and it's because of him. He has rejuvenated an entire fan base and... There should be nothing but support for him. That's all. It's wild. And just, Like, just how fun he is to watch. Like, that touchdown it's run. Insane. That's exactly what I was going to say, Jace. The exact same words. And, oh, my goodness, he's so fun to watch. Yeah. It. I mean, we the touchdown run was obviously just sensational. But I think, too, like what, what we said, just what it re- represented. This game was the first 10-point comeback in Lamar's uh, career as a starter. Um, which is you know, been another knock on him aside from the playoff thing. Probably, I think, a more fair knock, honestly, uh, than the playoff stuff, since that was only a two-game sample versus, you know, the Ravens have been down 10 multiple times now. But to come back, to do it, and I think what impressed me most, and you talk about leadership, Tim, uh, but I did worry at the beginning. I thought, "Uh uh-oh, this looks like a quarterback who's pressing, you know, just floats one, trying to, like, force it to Miles Boykin, of all people. You're like, this isn't what we need on first down. <laughs> um, and you're down 10. But, and I, I credit Greg Roman, too, because I think he was also very much at fault for the panic that has happened in the past with this team, especially in last year's playoffs. You said the line, Tim, but 24 passing attempts for Lamar in a game they were down uh, 10 at one point. That's where you want it to be. He threw the ball 59 times in the playoff game last year against the Titans. Not where you want to be. Not with him. He's, as you said, I think his, you know, he does have issues at times with certain passes especially. But 
I think what makes him special is is just the running ability and how it opens everything up. And I think I thought this game was just a perfect balance. You know, sixteen. I mean, one hundred thirty six yards and did it on only sixteen carries. It wasn't like they ran him like forty times or whatever. Uh, I just I was I was impressed with the balance. I was impressed that even when they could panic and have in the past that they didn't. And, you know, just to put that all together in this game, and obviously they only scored 20 points, and I think they left some points on the table here and there, you know, to end of the half. I know uh, we all had concerns about how that ended up, uh, which has been a point of issue for the Ravens throughout this season, honestly. But um, I-, I was still impressed. That I thought the-, the drive out of the second half, was incredibly impressive, uh, in you know getting our boy Patrick Ricard involved yes. at one point. At one point, he was the second leading receiver in this game. He ended up third. <laughs> third. Long may it continue. Uh, I read somewhere he's that like, I believe the heaviest play. Like he he's like the all time leader, I believe, in receptions and yards in the playoffs for a guy who weighs over three hundred pounds. So that's exciting. <laughs> yeah. So Jason, you talk about Ricard. Let's give out some other. Uh, some other like gold medals from this game offensively because there's a few names to go around. First of all, even including Lamar's rushing numbers, the Ravens 236 yards on 35 carries. That's exactly the number that you want. You want over 200 yards, which is what we talked about last week. Excellent averages from everybody, all, all the backs really. J.K. Dobbins with some. It doesn't seem like much. He had nine carries for 43 yards, but got the tough yards, got the touchdown run, some first downs. Gus Gus Bus Edwards converting a few short third downs in that game. <laughs> we mentioned Pat Pat Ricard with the uh, the three catches there, and then Marquise Brown. We ha- we have to give credit. All three of us have given this guy so much flack uh, this season. Credit where credit is due. Seven catches, 109 yards. These were not mostly deep passes. A lot of this was short and intermediate where he got by dudes, got to the sidelines, was blowing by people. Even on one of those, like, uh, I don't really know what to call them. They're supposed to be, they're definitely supposed to be passes in the flat, but the timing was a little off, so Lamar threw both. They were both backwards passes to to Hollywood, but he caught them both, number one, because both of them were slightly behind him. And then turn them into yards, turn them into first down. So I can't say enough about, about Marquise Brown in this game. Even did catch a, a deeper pass over the shoulder. Zero drops by my count and was just a, a difference maker for the first time. A difference maker from the wide receiver position for the first time in a long time for the Ravens. It was encouraging. Um, you know, the soldiers stepped up in this game. It, it was really, really cool to see that. And there was a couple times, and the commentary team pointed out a few times, Lamar was holding on to the ball a lot, and it almost seemed like because his guys weren't getting separation. How many times have you heard that narrative as a Ravens fan over the years? The receivers aren't getting enough separation. Hollywood was the difference there. He was, and he played incredibly well. I'm not trying to throw cold water on the performance. I really don't want to. I'm a little tired of the, you only need a yard more to game, but I don't want to get hit, so I'm going to lay down move. A little tired of the because you could he can make guys miss. I mean, one of those sweep passes or whatever you want to call it, Antonio. He juked out about three guys to get an extra ten yards, and it was an impressive play. And they need to find more ways to utilize his abilities like that. But like, 
some of that, I'm, I was like, is he gimpy? Is he hurt? What's the deal here? Because he's catching some passes on like second and seven. He gets five yards. He can get the two because he can turn the corner, but he decides to just pull the Marvin Harrison and fall down. So that's a little annoying. But again, very minor complaint on an overall very, very good performance from Hollywood. I see what you're saying, Tim. There definitely are times where I'm like, how did he not get the first down there? What are you doing, Where it looks like there weren't that many people between him and the marker, and yet he somehow ends up a yard short, leaves some yards on the table, definitely. But I will say... For me personally, I do think this was the probably the best game of his career, just given the stakes, given, you know, the criticisms we had of him. And I think, Antonio, you nailed it. No drops. I didn't see any. And I think that's so big for him. And, you know, I think that'll go a long way to getting the fan base off his back. Because we talked, I think, in past weeks just recently He's had an okay to solid year. Like, it wasn't, it's not jump off the page good, but he's still basically the Ravens' leading receiver in every category. And of the guys they've ever drafted, certainly in the first round, he's by far going to have the most touchdowns and receptions and yards. Um, So I was just very encouraged, and especially for him to step up in the spot. And I I thought how they got him the ball, like you mentioned those swing passes, I think just getting him the ball in ways to make him succeed is like so important and was things I think at times they just didn't do throughout this season. Um, And, you know, I feel like that quick passes, I feel like always seems to play to Lamar's strengths. Um, Especially we mentioned, you know, those they're simple plays, but like if no one's covering Pat Ricard in the flat, get Pat Ricard the ball and get just, take your eight yards and that that's a perfect play on first down you know um so yeah i i was really impressed with marquise brown i was really impressed for the most part with the whole offense i thought um i guess as you said offensive line they they got after lamar a little bit in the past game the titans which was a little discouraging just because they're not a particularly stout defensive line defensive front but that could be because as you guys said it, they do seem to say, like, oh, no one opened. I'm like, surely someone must have been open. And then you do the, here's all the receivers cam. And you're like, oh, no one was open <laughs> every time Lamar gets sacked. So I, I don't know yeah, if that was a coverage issue, but uh, certainly wasn't a perfect performance by the offense by any means. They only scored 20 points. But I thought a gritty one, and given just the context that has surrounded this team, the narrative surrounded this team, to kind of squash it was really, really impressive. So a gritty win, I think uh, good good for bucking the narrative, and uh, hopefully we never have to hear. Certainly about, as Tim, you mentioned, I believe, Lamar saying there will be other narratives, but at least we don't have to hear about Lamar can't win a playoff game anymore. <laughs> as in any tough football game, you can't just win on one side of the ball. You have to win on both sides of the ball. You even have to win special teams in most games. But we're going to talk about the defensive side of the ball. We were comfortable with the Ravens scoring a few points in this game. We had no idea what was going to happen defensively against the Titans, against Ryan Tannehill, against 2,000-yard rusher and Ravens arch-rivaled nemesis, the worst player to play against this team ever, Derek Henry who ended the game with 18 carries for 40 yards in a game that the Titans led by double digits early, but led by double digits. Guys, I have one sentence to say, and then I'll turn, I'll turn to you guys, but this may have been the defensive line's 
game of the decade. I've never seen such stout play defensively from those three, four guys up front. And then my second sentence, the tackling was the best I have seen from this Ravens team all season and the best from a Ravens team since the like prime Ray Lewis heyday years. And I do not think that's an exaggeration. Let me know if it is. Stout tackling everywhere, bringing the guys down as soon as they catch the ball on 99, whatever, 90% of of catches of runs, and then stopping Derrick Henry with sound tackling the entire game. Unbelievable performance defensively. Yeah, we spent a lot of time with Lamar Jackson. Next three hours or so is about the defensive <laughs> line. Jelly Ellis, Justin Matabuke, Brandon Williams, Calais Campbell, and Derek Wolf. My word, what a performance from those guys all day. Absolutely dominating the Titans offensive line. Look, last week we talked about, we said that the offense had to win this game for the Ravens. I remember saying that. I think you both agreed with me. The defense won this game. The defense absolutely won this game, even with all of Lamar's heroics. I mean, you talk about the tackling, Antonio. That play where Patty Queen gets around the end to force some pressure, and we'll talk about the pressure on Tannehill in a bit, pressures him, he has to dump it off to Derrick Henry, and LJ Fort comes up and makes a beautiful tackle on a third-and-goal situation to force a field goal. Um, Then you have... You guys remember Earl Thomas? (laughs) Remember him? Because I don't, because we have a missile in the backfield at number 32 and Deshaun Elliott uh, making a key play. Jace wrote down in our rundown here where it was a little play to the flat. There would have been a first down and all of a sudden, like screaming Ed Reed back in his heyday comes flying into your television screen and lays the wide receiver out uh, for an incomplete pass, which forced Vrabel to punt because he's a pussy and it, and it was absolutely incredible. Um, but to get back to the defensive line, they had a game plan. They were going to stop Derrick Henry. Here's next-gen stats for you. Derrick Henry had no room to run against. This is a tweet they put up. Against the Ravens defense that stacked eight-plus defenders in the box on 72% of Henry's runs, the fourth-highest rate any running back has faced this season. Henry versus the stack box, 13 carries, 24 yards, 1.8 yards per carry. One of the the narratives we talked about was Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams actually being available for this game when they weren't uh, in the regular season. And, man, they made quite a difference. I mean, that that defensive front, Jason and I have talked the last couple weeks about how maybe we're being a little too hard on the defense because it's harder to play defense nowadays. It's an offensive league, yada, yada, yada. I'm fully back in. If the boys are playing like this, man, it it is – you know, you can buy your number eight jerseys, your number 15 jerseys, your 35s, your 27s. I'm buying 93s, 95s, 48s, 98s, 58s. Those boys up front, 71. Screw if it. If it doesn't have a nine in it, Tim's out. Tim's Damn out. out on that jersey. <laughs> what a performance from this defense. Derrick Henry was an absolute non-factor. His longest run was like for eight yards, and, and the game plan was perfect. You know, we talk about Wink Martindale not really having a plan B, it seems like. He didn't need one in this game because his plan A was perfect. And, you know, credit to those guys. And, hell, long may it continue. I completely – it's funny. We And you kind of have to because – and Marlon Humphrey even talked about this. You know, Lamar Jackson is the focus when the Ravens lose, but he's also the focus when the Ravens win. Uh, and so many narratives around this game are going to surround Lamar. But I completely agree. The story of this game was how good – the Ravens were against Derrick Henry. He frankly embarrassed them last year in the playoffs. You know, um, 
he had what 195 yards or something in the playoff game uh and they go out they get Calais Campbell they bring in Derek Wolf they said we are not going to let Derek Henry beat us and then unfortunately uh in addition to Brandon Williams Calais Campbell could not play uh so your two best run defenders could not play in the regular season game Derek Henry goes for another 125 plus against them but having them all back uh and healthy for this game, it showed why they made those offseason moves. Eric DaCosta and company, you know, saw a weakness, saw what happened, and they adjusted, and they brought in the pieces they needed, and it was specifically, basically for this game, and they completely shut him down. Yeah, long at eight yards. Uh, Jeff Zarebeck of The Athletic had this stat, which was absolutely stunning to me. Um... Derrick Henry didn't have a single first down run, so a run for a first down, after he had 98 such runs in the regular season. He didn't rush for a first down. He had 90, he did it 98 times. This man rushed for 2,000 yards in the regular season. He's the only the eighth guy ever to rush for 2,000 yards, and they held him to a season low 40 yards. It was sensational. And like you said, Antonio, like... I, they had the lead. It was the perfect setup for this. It's how he ran for 195 last year in the playoffs, uh, or whatever he did. I don't remember the exact number, but uh, they got the lead and they just gave him the ball and gave him the ball and gave him the ball 30 times and they just shut him down and they took him out of the game. And like Tim said, I think it led to a crisis of confidence for Mike Vrabel in many ways. You know, he settles, for a field goal on fourth and goal from like the four. Uh, after that eight yard run, they throw twice, uh, including that great Deshaun Elliott breakup on Jonu Smith. And then he punts from the Ravens 40, the other side of the field down four points. When you say like, I don't know if I was him, I would have probably still given Derrick Henry a crack at it. <laughs> guy, guy just ran for eight yards. He's pretty good. But I, I think how stout the Ravens were really got in their heads. And um, I think it was really impressive. And then, I don't know, Antonio, if you have any what to add, but I'd say this, uh, we can I, – I think the other – the thing that impressed me was that not only did they shut Derrick Henry down, it was a total defensive performance. Because I was certainly worried early. Uh, A.J. Brown going off, but – the back end settled in too, and the Titans just did nothing in this game on like run or pass. I was really, really impressed. Um, the one thing that did help the Ravens, I will, I, I think it must have Corey Davis. Yes. was their number two receiver, and he got hurt. At a certain I didn't point see what his injury was, but he got knocked didn't out. Didn't come back. Um, which certainly had just helped in terms of the weapons because. AJ Brown early was doing some things that he just wanted to do wherever he wanted to yeah, do them. It was a concern. Anthony, you know, illegal things too. By the way. <laughs> Anthony Ferkser, I had a hunch he was going to end up catching ten balls in this game because <laughs> the matchups with him just never made any sense. But they figured it out. The Ravens once the Ravens were able to score, it just sort of everything righted at, at the same time. Derek Wolf, we we talked about him briefly in, in these last few recaps, but he made two plays in this game that to me were gigantic plays. I mean, a sack is a big play in and of itself, but he has that sack on third down on the Titans' third possession. They've scored, or I should say their fourth possession. They've scored now on back-to-back possessions. They have the ball, they've gotten a few first downs, and Derek Wolf gets a sack to just stop that drive in its tracks. 
And then on that eight-yard Derrick Henry run, there was more space for that guy to take. And Derrick Henry, I mean, watch the replay if you enjoy watching, like, defensive line play. Tim, you can watch this replay if you you haven't already seen it uh, 20 times. But he, he, like, full stretch dives backwards and catches Derrick Henry just before he gets that full head of steam where he's now running past people where that could have been a 20, 30-yard run. And, yes, it's eight yards, but it wasn't a first down. Um, and it, it sort of kept the defense in it, and they end up stopping him later. So that's the definition of the free agent you bring in to solve a need based on what happened to you the season before. And it was so rewarding. I cannot imagine how pleased Eric DaCosta was in seeing the guys that he brought in their contribution in a game like this. Well, here's the thing. Remember, Derek Wolf was plan B. Michael Brockers was plan A. Michael Brockers was the guy that was supposed to come in. Failed physical happens, and then the contract kind of breaks down in a weird way. And they bring in Derek Wolf. And I was sitting here watching with my friend Phil. Uh, shout out, Phil. He's a Denver Broncos fan. And before the game even started, or it might have been the first time the defense lined up and, and he saw Wolf, he was like, man, I cannot believe we let him go. He's like, you have guys have such a gem. And he showed it all season. He plays a role that he's never going to get the numbers. He got his sack yesterday, which or on Monday or Sunday, excuse me. Um, but man, it was just, and we could talk about the cool guys in the back because I have a wild next gen stat for that in, in a second. Um, but yeah, screw it. Let's just do it. Marcus Peters rules. I'm all in on Marcus <laughs> Peters. I know he's hot and cold, up and down, but that man talking volatile. his ish and making plays. Yes, he is volatile, but but screaming at the at the sidelines, screaming at the Titans players as Lamar Jackson is running down their throats, making the pick, and then the best 15-yard penalty in the history of penalties. I'm not even talking about football now. History of any sort of penalty anywhere. It's the best one of all time. This comes from Michael Lopez, at Stats by Lopez on Twitter. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's Marcus Peters and the entire team running over to the Titans logo to, uh, you know, have a little fun on it after what happened pregame that uh, old tough guy Vrabel defended in week 11. Here's from Michael Lopez. Quote, roughly 15 Ravens players converged on the Titans logo after Marcus Peters, inter- Marcus Peters interception. Fastest two logo was Anthony Levine, number 41, clocking at 17.9 miles per hour. Anthony Avret, number 23, 17.7 miles per hour. We got some big men moving, too. Talk about Derek Wolf, number 95. He was clocked in at 15.2 miles per hour. And Pernell McPhee, another man who had a great game. Shouts out to him. We needed to mention him as well. Number 90, 14.4 miles per hour. The boys were juiced after MP Juice Man made the big play. And to have a guy like that, yes, volatile, but is just exudes confidence and is always going to – he always thinks it's his ball, and most of the time it is, is invaluable for a defense. Most of those guys, Tim – or I should say some of those guys – not on the field for no, that play, which is uh, something else that may that that happened on that play. Yeah, just fairly certain Anthony the field. Levine was in mask <laughs> when he, he went out there. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, Tim. It's a statement play. It's a statement reaction. Marcus Peters, man, should have been a Raven for the last five years. Oh. He's that sort of edgy, nasty guy that the, that any defense needs, frankly, to, to get them riled up and backs it up at the perfect moments. I'm getting tired. I feel like every Raven game, or the last five Raven games I've watched, the announcers, the first thing they say about Marcus Peters is his 
spotty coverage. That's the only thing they can say. Well, you know, he's spotty, but he may make a play now. He makes the biggest play defensively <laughs> in all these games when he makes a pick. So I'm tired of that. He's been just fine in coverage and is such one, maybe the most vital member of the, of the secondary with a lot of pieces that are important to that team. Um, but he just fits a role that is so necessary in that secondary. And I, I think, too, if just in terms of squashing narratives, I think that pick really, um, the, his his late interception really was kind of, I think, you know, what we've been critical of at times, especially I can speak to Tim and I of terms of defense uh, throughout this season. But it's just stepping up at the perfect time and making the play to seal the game, essentially, you know. It, it's a seven-point game. You, It's at a point where the Ravens could be feeling down because you could argue they should be up, you know, 11 or whatever the math would have been because of a very questionable pass interference, offensive pass interference call uh, on the prior drive that resulted in them settling for three points. Um, but, you know, it's still a seven-point game. And then he to just come through in that moment, and make the play, and then the offense leave no doubt, grind out the clock, don't have to have us sweat it out in any way with one final Tennessee drive. It was just, it was the ultimate stepping up, and I could not love the logo stomp more. Uh, This, it's weird, because you don't usually expect this of a team you don't play that often, but this is now three times in a calendar year for playing the Titans, and... um, you know, we've talked on this program in the past. It might have even been last year at this point leading into the game. But uh, Ravens-Titans used to be a real rivalry uh, back when they were in the same division and stuff. But this feels, it feels back. It, this we're is back, a real maybe. legitimate rivalry. These teams do not like each other. And I, I think that just made, you know, the logo stomp so satisfying uh, after such a big play. Um walking off without shaking hands by most of the players was great i thought it it it, it, (laughs) you don't see that much animosity really in the nfl anymore but i think in that moment to have that celebration it was just so satisfying especially against you know the team that knocked you out last year and all that and then all the things that happened this year it was just perfect it was a perfect pick it was perfect play at the perfect time for marcus peters and the celebration was great I'm sorry, if you don't love a guy with that type of emotion on your team and that type of fire and that type of I give a you-know-what, then you need to find a different team because this he is a Ravens footballer, as Antonio said. If you remember when he was on the Rams, they're interviewing him before the Super Bowl, I believe it was, or before the, ch- the championship game. It's a very famous clip now, and it was a post-game thing. They're asking him about wh- how would he look back on this or something, and all he does we ain't done yet. They ask him another question. We ain't done yet. We ain't done yet. He And he's just got that fire and that edge and that personality. I know you said it, Antonio, but, I mean, it is so cool to watch. And I, I and Jason and I have been kind of the same guys. We've been the Brian Greasy. He was like, well, you know, he can get burned on a double move. I'll take that for a guy who makes these plays, and especially in these big moments. Also, real quickly, because I know we have to move on. But shout out Marlon Humphrey, too. Marlon Humphrey getting picked on a little bit. A.J. Brown kind of owns him um, in recent history. But A.J. Brown had to cheat to score a touchdown. Let's, <laughs> let's call it what it is. He, he blatantly cheated, and the refs are cowards and never want to call anything against an offensive player unless it's Willie Sneed just running around. <laughs> no, I'm not biased. 
And then in the second half, as Antonio mentioned, Humphrey especially really stepped up and, and made some plays. He had another play, too, on a third down where he knocked the ball out of a guy's hand that was a sure catch. Like, if this defense, and this, and we'll talk about it later when we preview the Bills game, if they come out with the same fire and the same energy that they did, I'm not scared of Stephon Diggs, and I'm not scared of Josh Allen. If that defense shows up, I'm not scared of them. I'm really not. I am really legitimately not. Well, it's such a good point, Tim. The Titans were second in yards and uh, fourth in points scored coming into this game. And as a whole, like, as we said, just a total defensive performance, they held the Titans to 209 yards while the offense gained 401. The the first down edge was 22-12 Ravens. You know, Tannehill had only 165 passing yards. And the Titans scored a season-low 13 points. You know, you could argue the Ravens probably should have won this game by more, except for probably some, you know, early stumbles in the first quarter there. But they give up three points the last three quarters. You can't ask for anything more against, I think, a Titans team that, you know, is really good. (laughs) I think, I don't think it was a fluke that they held Derrick Henry. It wasn't like he got hurt. They just... They bottled him up, and I think starting with that, it just, you know, it spread to the whole rest of the uh, the defense, and they were able to just pretty much shut everything down for an offense that has been really, really impressive this year. I was it, I was so pleased with it. It was definitely, as you guys have said, the probably defense's best game in a long, long time. Awesome performance from the Ravens overall. Last little thing about Justin Tucker. Actually missed a kick in this game of over 50 yards, so props to him for coming back yeah. after the miss and drilling a 50-yarder was... to take a seven-point lead. That's a, a gigantic miss, or excuse me, a gigantic make after a miss to stretch it to a, to a touchdown lead there from the GOAT kicker. Yeah, he hadn't missed a fourth-quarter kick in something like six years or something, but yeah, to just come back and... Uh from basically the same exact distance and you could actually i had kind of missed this live but rewatching on the broadcast you could hear him yelling celebrating when he nailed it he was like yeah <laughs> when he drilled that second kick through so he's the best you know i had pretty i had some faith in him i was like well he's not gonna miss twice right and of course he he comes through drills it seven point lead the goat we don't have to dwell on it anymore he's the best <laughs> we could talk about this game for probably a few more hours but we're gonna move on we have other things to talk about as well as preview the Ravens' next playoff game. But so first, let's recap the other games across the NFL. We could go in any order here, but let's do Bills-Colts first. A couple, guys, just a couple of thoughts on, on this game because we'll be talking about the Bills later. The only thing I will say is this entire game seems like seemed like every classic Phillip Rivers game where he's just moving the ball <laughs> at will. There's no way you can stop him from getting a first down. And then you look at the score in the third quarter and they're down and he's chasing a lead and you don't really understand why aren't they ahead? Why aren't they up by two touchdowns? But the Bills taking care of business at home, not as as comfortably as they would have liked, uh, and they will face the Ravens next week. So that's all I say. Thoughts on the Bills versus Colts? Well, I think you say it perfectly, Antonio. It was a, 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 a another seminal entry in Phillip Rivers' playoff career. Uh the Colts have 472 yards in this game. Uh, they lead the the Bills in literally about every statistical category. First downs, time of possession. Uh, they didn't turn the ball over, <laughs> and yet they somehow only managed, you know, 24 points. Some 
some baffling calls here and there from Frank Reich. It was a weird weekend for coaching in general. We talked about Vrabel's punt and decisions to go for it, but I don't know. Frank Reich, they go for it right before the half. That doesn't work, and then the Bills immediately manage to go down and get uh, on a 96-yard drive to score and take the lead into the half, which I thought was just... They go 96 yards in a minute 32 right before halftime. Uh, there's just one of the worst offside jumps I've ever seen on that drive. I don't know if you guys recall that one, but mm-hmm. it was, I don't know. I I thought the Colts kind of gave this game away. I thought they were, the, certainly in the first half, looked like the better team. And then to just enter halftime down, I was like, wow, this is very Phillip Rivers. I mean... It's hard to have 470 yards and no turnovers and not win the game in the NFL and only score 24 points, but they managed. So, yeah, I think you said it perfectly, Antonio. It was just a very, uh, you know, Phil Rivers game and then the Hail Mary at the end where he, they're only, they're at like the 50. It's not like that far. And then he still throws it like 10 yards short of the end zone. I was like, oh man, is this the end? He was crying in the post game, but it's hard to tell with him. If it was the end, because he cries every year in the postgame. But uh, <laughs> he did last year. He did this year. Uh, but, you know, he's 38, 39 years old. So, I don't know. You wonder how much longer Phil Rivers has. He's only on a one-year deal. But looked good at times. Looked actually solid in this game for the most part. But still, Colts managed to, to not come out with the win in this one. Yeah, I've got nothing else. Uh, Darius Leonard is awesome to watch. He is very good. Pretty much it. The I'll we'll do the next or I should say the final AFC game next because what <laughs> I don't know if you can hear it on my mic here a car alarm was going off outside <laughs> and that's about right for Browns versus Steelers. Uh, I I near guaranteed a Steelers victory and the and the talk about this game. Uh, they were coming off a game where they had just played each other and the Steelers had rested everybody and still almost won the game, or at least almost tied the game. After we finished recording, it uh, came out that Kevin Stefanski tested positive for COVID-19, so he just wasn't, their head coach of the Browns just wasn't going to be there. And like four position I had, coaches. <laughs> I had no idea how the Browns were supposed to keep this game close, and yet it's 28 nothing early in this Browns-Steelers game. The Steelers try to make a game of it, but... It was 28 nothing early, so the game ends up with the Browns winning by double figures and nearly dropping 50 points on the Pittsburgh Steelers in Pittsburgh. I, I don't understand. Somebody tell me what the heck happened in this game. I'll tell you what. The Steelers are the worst 11-0 sporting team of all time. They are a bad football team who, by the way, because they are the model of consistency in the NFL, won't change a thing. Big Ben will be back with his $41 million cap hit. They won't do anything with Tomlin. Fickner will still be there running a just atrocious offense. They'll still keep giving James Conner the ball for some reason. That guy stinks. Juju will continue to do TikToks and continue to give locker room material to the other team, saying the Browns are the Browns. And then Juju Jr., Chase Claypool, who already said on Monday that, oh, don't worry, the Browns are going to get clapped now, so it's all good. No, it's not all good. You just had an embarrassing performance on national TV in the wild card round against your heated rivals. So this game happens, right? I'm watching with a few friends, and we're trying to decide as Ravens fans, now that we had won our game, 
who we actually wanted to win because who do you want to see? Do you want to see the Chiefs or the Bills? And the outcome of this game determined that. I couldn't figure it out. And personally, I was like, you know what? Chiefs coming off rest. They haven't looked that great. Maybe this is the best time to take a shot at them. Da-da-da-da. And my buddy Garrett, shout out Garrett, just shouting out people all left and right on today's show, was like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We want the Bills and we want the Browns to beat the Steelers. And I, it, as much as it pains me to even root for it, I wouldn't even say I rooted for it. But as soon as Marquise Pouncey skyrockets the ball over Ben's head and then Ben fails to jump on it like it's a grenade that's about to go off, he just looks at the ball while Cleveland recovers it. I was like, you know what? Kind of in on the Browns winning this because the narrative is just hilarious. Good for the Browns. Great win. Whatever, I guess. I, I can't really say I'm happy for the city because admittedly I'm not. And I don't like to lie on this program. <laughs> but the funniest part about this is Pittsburgh is going to change nothing. They will change absolutely nothing. The Big Ben's going to come back. They're going to try. He'll he'll think about retiring, and then he'll say, "Oh no, I'm good." He won't go back into his walking boot. Tomlin, who I think is a good coach, and they shouldn't get rid of him, but he will take no blame for this whatsoever. And they'll probably keep the coordinators too, because again, they are the model of consistency in the National Football <laughs> League. And fine, because they are now unabashedly the third best team in this division. And if Joe Burrow comes back full strength, I'm just saying there's a there's a chance. There's a chance. The the Steelers were clearly paper tigers and during that eleven and zero start, but how much they collapsed was stunning. I still thought they would win this game because I was like, you know, Ben Roethlisberger's back. They almost beat the Browns when they weren't really trying. So when they actually try, they will. But as you said, Marquise Pouncey, first snap, boom, right into the end zone. And you're like, uh oh, this might be. <laughs> this is, you know, you know, you watch that start, and it's, you never see a team snap the ball into the end zone to give up a touchdown with only 14 seconds elapsed and then say, like, ah, oh, but this game will go fine for them. <laughs> and uh, things unraveled from there. Uh, Roethlisberger threw two interceptions. Uh, in the rest of the first quarter, the Browns scored 28 points, which was a post-merger record for first quarter scoring in an NFL playoff game. Um, so in the last 50 years, no team had ever scored 28 points in the first quarter. So the game was over there, despite, you know, once again, Cleveland's best efforts to at least make the game interesting in the second half there uh, at times. But, um, you know, they managed to, to hold on. I think part of that's probably... I'm going to guess because their coach uh, who calls the plays was sitting in his basement in Ohio in COVID quarantine. So I'll give them a pass for maybe not looking 100% on offense at times uh, yesterday um, or uh, on Sunday. But yeah, I Steelers just unraveled by turnovers. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, you said, like we've talked about, they can't run the ball. And they were down the whole time, obviously, after that start. But Roethlisberger threw 68 times in this game and had 501 yards uh, somehow, but he had four TDs and four interceptions. You know, that kind of turnover level is not, uh, it's not going to get you far in the NFL playoffs. So, you know, yeah, as Tim said, credit to the Browns, taking advantage. And uh, I think actually I, I'm on team Garrett. I, uh, uh, I wanted the Browns to win after a certain point because I was like, yeah, bring on the Bills. Let's do it. <laughs> I don't want to see the Chiefs yet again. So uh, I think a good result for all involved. I laughed a lot, especially in that first quarter. So it was a good time. In the NFC, three games that really were, if you had to rank the six games this weekend, would you put these three 
as four, five, and six. Yeah. Uh, Heineke <laughs> Tie for keeping six. it close, I guess. That game had like all the atmosphere of like a sixth grade mixer. It was just, it was so awkward. It was quiet. <laughs> there was. <laughs> It was it wasn't enjoyable for the vast majority of the, of the time. But Awkward. Heineke yeah. keeping it <laughs> keeping it close, uh, made a few plays. I get, Tim, I'll give Tim the credit because he texted this and I died in our text thread. How many times Tony Dungy said that he was impressed with Heineke <laughs> was if you had over under if you had nine and a half over nine and a half then you covered your your bet there because it was seemingly that he was not the right. Uh, color commentator for a game that had zero fans in it and was super quiet. It was well, just turned us to horrendous. He and then stunk. I'm gonna I'm gonna re- recap the other two games and then I'll let you guys give your top thoughts from any of them. But uh, Rams beating the Seahawks, I, it was an upset, so that was cool. You had John Wolford go out early and then Jared Goff go nine of nineteen and somehow the Rams <laughs> still win by double digits. I don't understand the the Seahawks, the worst twelve and four team I've ever seen. And then. Saints-Bears, which was another dud and a half, because the Bears were never going to score points in this game and never really did score points in this game. And Saints win by double digits there. So, I, you know, NFC, as the season has gone, NFC weak again compared to the AFC. So what did you guys enjoy or, or take away from any of those three games? Um, Rams-Seahawks, I'll let Jace go. I, I legitimately have nothing for that. Um, Saints-Bears... The Nickelodeon broadcast was actually kind of cool. I flipped, I flipped to that for 20 minutes or so during the game while watching it. And you know what? Interesting concept to bring a new audience in. Good for you, NFL. Shouts out. It was a little weird because they had, like, uh, Nickelodeon stars in with uh, Burleson and then Ian Eagle's son, Noah Eagle. Yeah, I didn't know he existed. I found that yeah. out this weekend. <laughs> yeah. And... I don't know. I guess because obviously I wasn't the target audience. They did do a lot of like, let's really explain what's going on. But if you're trying to watch with your kid, that makes sense. So I thought it was a really cool idea. Um, And then the Taylor Heineke stuff, as I get away from it more, because watching it on a Saturday night, I mean, legitimately, I was like the rest of the Twitter world. I was like, this kid can play like this guy's got he's got moxie. He's got confidence. He's not afraid to take a hit. The, the the jump from the four-yard line into the end zone was awesome. Like, But the funnier part is now Washington football team fans are going to convince they, themselves they have a quarterback of the future, and it's going to come up for the rest of the offseason because clearly they need an answer at quarterback. Alex Smith, I love you, but he can't move. Obviously, Dwayne Haskins no longer there. So are they going to try and convince themselves Heineke is the guy? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you do there? And I think just... As an outsider, not not trying to laugh at their expense or anything, but as an outsider, it is pretty funny to see like, oh, as a fan base, it's like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna do this now, and now the front office is gonna be like, well, maybe Heineke's the guy, and if he's not the guy, which look, he probably isn't, then there's gonna be a million people in the fan base as soon as the quarter the other quarterback, whoever it is, throws an interception, they're gonna be like, bring Heineke back, where's he? <laughs> That'll be that'll be kind of funny to see as that develops. Well, for that, what's funny? I think Washington's closer to real contention than they've been a really long time. I actually like love their defense, and I think Rod Rivera is a solid coach. And I was impressed, you know, how they bad record aside that they fought their way back from a horrible start to make the playoffs. But they just need a quarterback. They're like a good quarterback and like one other good, maybe like a stud left tackle. I think, which, you know, obviously easier said than done to find both of those pieces, but uh, uh, 
they're the that away I think from real contention because that defense, especially with Chase Young there, is going to be solid. It's going to be really good, but. Unfortunately, by making the playoffs, they are not going to be in a position to draft any of the like top four quarterbacks probably that'll go in this draft um, by virtue of picking like twentieth. Um, so <laughs> I I feel a little bad for them in that regard. Uh, it's funny, Tim, you're leaving Rams to me because I thought this game was actually the most interesting game of the NFC games. I have nothing to say about Saints Bears. That game was. Uh, an abomination to watch for the most part, aside from, for whatever re- reason, Tony Romo kept just making just the tip jokes all throughout the game. Seriously. Like, to the point where Jim Nance even called Four times. <laughs> when Jim Nance sees what you're doing, that's how you know you've really beaten it into the ground. But, uh... Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, um... The Rams-Seahawks game was by far the most interesting to me in the NFC, just because the Rams' defense is good. Like, really, really, really good. And we knew this by virtue of them being the top statistical defense by both points and yards in the NFL. Um, But they proved it against Russell Wilson. um, I mean, they shut him down. 11 for 27, dangerous win. And... They did that despite Aaron Donald hurt his ribs and that knocked him out uh, for pretty much most of the second half. Um, he never came back into the game. So to do all that without Donald, who was wrecking, he already he had two sacks by the time he was knocked out, um, was just really impressive. And uh, to your point that, you know, John Wolford gets the start and pretty much immediately gets knocked out with a semi-cheap shot, I'd say, um, by Jamal Adams. But, I don't know. Credit to Jared Goff for fighting through. Uh, I think it was very clear his thumb is surgically repaired on a few throws where he just missed by, like, wildly, by, like, nine yards at times. And you're like, wow, that guy can't throw. But, you know, he did He did enough to win. He didn't get. Uh, he didn't uh, turn the ball over, which is such a big key for him. Um, he's very turnover prone, so... Cam Akers was impressive, had one of their best uh, debuts by Rams running back. So it's interesting. I don't know that, you know, a injured thumb Jared Goff could really give the Packers any problems, but certainly in this game, uh, just to shut down the Seahawks, just so totally and completely. It was the first time, obviously no fans there, but uh, first time Seattle lost a home, a home playoff game in like 16 years. So um, really, I think, impressive performance by the Rams. All right, so that's going to do it for our NFL recap. Uh, Jace, you're up this week for the random Ooh, Raven. So right. let's uh, let's hear who you have for us. Uh, I got five clues for you and a bonus clue if you need it. Uh, so number one, this player spent parts of three seasons with the Ravens from 2013 to 2015. Oft injured, this offensive lineman missed five games in 2014 and ten games in 2015, the two season, the two full seasons they spent with the Ravens. He did, however, start all 28 regular season games he appeared in for the Ravens after joining the team in a rare midseason trade in 2013. He spent the first four-plus seasons of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah, who selected yeah. him eighth overall in the 2009 NFL Draft out of Virginia. And then your final regular clue, 
This noted cannabis advocate's number 60 has not been worn by any player since his departure following the 2015 season. Jace, was that the bonus clue or was that? Oh, that was, was that, that was my last regular. Clue? The bonus clue is a little more obvious, I think. But we'll we'll hit that one at the end of the episode. This is this is a random, this is a random dude, <laughs> uh, and yet a guy who played a lot of games played. for this Raven team. Started every uh, game right. he could. <laughs> we'll, we'll, have, we'll have Jace give those clues and, and the answer at the end of the episode. But we are going to move quickly now to the division matchups this week. We're going to keep the Ravens Bills game for last, of course. So let's start with the first AFC game. Chiefs, 10-point favorites at home against the Browns. I have no idea what to think in this game because the Chiefs will not be able to tackle Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. They will not be able to hold those two down. Will that make any difference whatsoever in this game, guys? Is there any potential that the Browns keep this close by just running, 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 keeping the ball out of Mahomes' hand? And, and trying to take a lead early and then have them each rush for 150 yards, is it possible that the Browns can pull off one of the most bizarre, would be one of the most significant uh, NFL playoff upsets in a long time? I mean, yeah, because they have the right formula to beat this team um, if they need to. Because, look, the Chiefs don't start games fast. As explosive as they are, they start games incredibly slow, and then sort of find a way to say, screw it, well, all right, now we feel like playing. Are they going to get worse at that? You know, even start slower because of the time off? Effectively two weeks now, because none of their guys played in week 17? Or will that rest help them out? Look, from what we've seen, I'm out on rest. I'm completely out on it. Play your guys, because I just, I don't think the... The percentages, if you had to look at them, and this is just an eye test and obviously a little bias from last year with the Ravens, but I feel like rest doesn't really help that much unless these guys are really, really banged up. Um, so, Browns start fast. They can hold on to the football. Maybe you make it a close game. That being said, Pat Mahomes can score under five seconds whenever he <laughs> wants. Um, and it's Mahomes v. Baker. And you know who I'm taking in that battle. So, I, I think the Chiefs... You know, by the time we get to the late fourth quarter, there'll be like seven minutes left in this game, and you're like, oh my God, how are the Chiefs already up 20? <laughs> I think that's what we're going to say. I, I think that's where I am at too, Tim, because I think the Browns could win. As you said, they have the formula too, but I just I don't think that defense is good enough. Even if they're able to run the ball and grind clock, I think the Chiefs are going to get their points. And I think the other thing with the Chiefs too is it's like, I think they have kind of been sleepwalking and obviously we went on that. They had that streak of what, just not covering the spread for like seven or eight straight weeks or whatever it was. Um, but is it possible? They just say, okay, it's the playoffs time to play now and come out and beat the Browns like 40 to 17 or something. I, I guess it's possible. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I don't want to bet against Patrick Mahomes to win. Uh, I, I just think, as uneven at this, as the Chiefs, I think, looked at times, they still won those games, and they still went 14-2. and two. Um, So I think I think it's just going to be too hard. And I think uh, for the Browns, I think after, you know, they hadn't won a playoff game in 26 years, they do get their coach back, but I think everything else is kind of gravy, and they're probably still, you know, going to have issues. Like, they had real, real COVID problems leading into this game, and I, I'm sure that's still going to disrupt their preparation for this game, which is not what you want, I think, playing a team as good as the Chiefs. Matchup of the AARP 
card holders, membership holders, I should say. Bucks versus Saints. It's what, 80, 85 years worth of quarterback play in this game between <laughs> Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Uh, this is another game I'm not really sure about. The Saints have beat the Bucks twice. Are they going to beat them a third time? Or is it the Saints are a better team than the Bucks, so that's why they've beaten them <laughs> twice and will continue to do so? Saints I, minus three at the moment. Yeah, I don't know. I really, I know they're playing the football team, and that offense is nothing to you know shake a stick at. I still like this Tampa Bay defense a lot, and Brady ain't going to lose three times to the same team in a year. Like I think it just comes down to that, and Antonio Brown is actually starting to contribute. You know, the offense, I know, right? it's, it's, it's horrible that he is, but he is. Chris Godwin had a bad game by his standards and could probably step up. I don't know. I think this is an intriguing matchup, and... Brady's got that Jordan thing about him where he's going to go, wait, 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 Drew Brees beat me twice. <laughs> Drew Brees, the guy who can't throw the ball anymore, the guy who's trying to steal a bunch of my records that we're both fighting for. I'm going to whoop his butt. And I kind of, because of that, and we'll talk about it with picks later, but if you're a gambling man and you're getting points and Brady, you kind of got to go that way, right? I I feel pretty much the same way, Tim. I... As as close, and I know Washington, I believe, covered that game, but I never once felt that Tampa was going to lose to Washington. Like, despite the, all the times that game was close, I, I, I always thought the Bucks were really in control. And not that I thought the Bears were going to beat the Saints ever, but that game was just weirdly close for a long time. And I don't think Drew Brees is healthy. Certainly doesn't look like it. I mean, there were questions about his arm strength. Uh, before he went out and broke 11 ribs. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Antonio, I thought you, when you said 85 years of quarterback play, I said, ha, huh, and then I did the math, and it's like, that not a joke. That's <laughs> that literally how old they will collectively be. Um, and it's just such a stark contrast where Baker Mayfield's the oldest quarterback still playing in the AFC, and then you have a literal 43- and 42-year-old man playing in the other in the other side of the bracket. A very strange uh, dichotomy in the NFL. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I it's hard to see Tom Brady losing the same team three times. He's beaten 17 different teams in the playoffs alone. Uh, and the second-place holder for QB wins has only 16 wins. So Brady's beaten more teams than any other quarterback just has playoff wins in the playoffs. He's the GOAT. I know I say this begrudgingly. There's no arguments about Tom Brady being the greatest of all time. And uh, I don't like the guy. He's the guy, he's the best to ever do it. And I don't see them losing to the Saints, especially if the Saints play like they did against the Bears. Um, they just let the Bears hang around. And the Bears were never going to win because they're quarterback by Mitch Trubisky. But that game was, I think, too close for too long. And I think, I think the Bucs are just playing better and it's hard to see them losing three times you mentioned that the nfc has the two 40 plus year olds the other quarterback 37 in aaron <laughs> Rodgers, also in the nfc in this packers game against the rams packers minus seven the offense defense thing is tasty but this to me is the maybe the clearest discrepancy in terms of who i think is going to win a game and that'll 1000 percent burn me later on but Packers, I just think they're going to be able to score points by the end of this game, and I don't know when the Rams are able to do anything at all. But 
defenses have beaten good offenses before. So what are your guys' thoughts on Packers-Rams? Aaron Donald uh, suffered torn rib cartilage, which Ugh. just sounds horrific. Yeah. In the game against the Seahawks, he's expected to play because he's Aaron Donald. But, <laughs> you know, that that's, that's going to be a loss. Jalen Ramsey has to basically nullify Devontae Adams. Can he do it? I absolutely think he can. He's probably the best corner in the NFL, not named Marlon Humphrey. Yeah, I said it. But I don't know. Like, Aaron Rodgers, you say 37, and that's almost mind-blowing to me. It still feels like he's 32, just slinging it around, because he's playing at the peak of his powers right now. And I don't see anything but a Packers win here. Um, also, shout-out, former Ravens, Darius Smith, and my former teammate in high school, Adrian Amos, at safety. So they've got some pieces there on defense. Um, you know, it's not, a, not, not an incredibly great defense, but it'll be enough to contain old Jared Goff and his broken thumb. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on the Packers. I think that's what you just nailed it right there at the end, Tim. I just, even as good as the Rams' defense is, A, I think to win they need Donald at 100%. And there seems like no real path to him being. But I think even more importantly, I think no matter how good the Rams' defense is, it's like, I don't think they're shutting out the Packers. And then it's like, can this Rams' offense score 17 points with – Jared Goff with a broken thumb. The Packers defense is hardly the greatest in the world, but I think they're still solid enough that it, I I think Jared Goff's going to have problems. And, uh, you know, I don't know the weather, uh, and they've lost there in the past, actually, in, in recent years um, in the divisional round. But um, I like Aaron Rodgers playing in Lambeau. I'm guessing it's going to be cold in January in Wisconsin. <laughs> um, and... Uh, he he only has like four losses when the temperature's below freezing in <laughs> at Lambeau Field in his career. So uh, compared to like thirty some wins, so I think that bodes well. I think it's just uh, of all the uh, you said it, Antonio. I think of all the matchups this weekend, this certainly on paper is the most lopsided and should probably end in a handy Packers victory. And the final division matchup that we got to talk about is Ravens versus. Bills, Ravens going into Buffalo, another place where it will probably be cold, uh, a cold environment in mid-January. Bills currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. Boy, does it feel good to not be a favorite on the road in a playoff game. I have two questions for you guys. I'm going to ask them both, and then I'm going to let you uh, run with it. The the first one is maybe more emotional, and it is, what has has the Titans win done to this team what what how much can we take from that game to push this team forward with you know the the Lamar getting the playoff win how much of a difference is that going to make um Harbaugh being ecstatic about winning a playoff (laughs) game for the first time in six years and then the other question is is the X's and O's we we know the formula for the Ravens at this point run the ball don't turn the ball over on defense get the stop and try to create turnovers, which is what we talked about in that Titans game, and the Ravens were, at at least late in the game, finally able to do it with the Peters interception. We know what the formula is. What is one unique thing that, in this Bills game, is going to be vital for the Ravens to win that's unique to having to match up against the Bills? So those are my two questions to you. How much emotion can this team ride with and then what do they need to do to neutralize the Bills specifically in this game? Well, Jace, I'll let you go X's and O's first. But before that, I hate to be negative, but I almost think this kitchen sink thing 
you know, I, I know, I know. We you rewind the thing forty five minutes, and you're hearing me talk about how we're gonna never lose a game again. I Take over the world, right? <laughs> but I think the weight that was lifted off this team's shoulders, and like I was talking about it before the game with friends, like they just need to win this one, just freaking win this one, win the playoff game, beat the Titans, send them home, and then you're playing with house money, which can be a good thing or a bad thing. I wonder and I worry, and I'm not saying that this will actually happen. And I don't, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how where I lean, but I wonder if that was the Ravens Super Bowl, which is something that you talk about all the time. Was this this team's Super Bowl? Now, look, they have plenty of leaders. They have some guys like Calais Campbell who've been there and done it. Obviously, John Harbaugh has lifted a Lombardi trophy himself, he knows what it takes to get it done. I just wonder, you talk about riding the emotional wave, which I could see. But I almost think it's more likely that this team almost has a – it's almost too harsh to say, but I can't think of a better phrase for it. So like a letdown game because of the emotional drain that the Titans game took. That's fair. I was going to say, for me, I think you you definitely can take positives in it just in that you know you can win a playoff game. And so why not go do it again? That kind of thing. Um, and uh, – Strangely, John Harbaugh, more road playoff wins than any coach in NFL history, uh, has won eight times on the road. I uh, wish they'd win more at home, but what can you do um, in the playoffs? But uh, um, So I see your point, Tim, but I think, you know, I, I still think there's a lot of positives, and I think... You are playing with house money. I, there's nothing I love more, Antonio, than being the underdog this week. And, you know, the Ravens got their win, and I think the pressure's off. I think this week people are going to be talking about, do you blow up the Steelers? The Browns got their first playoff win in 26 years. The Bills are coming off their first playoff win in 25 years. There's pressure on them to now, you know, get back to the Super Bowl. They haven't been since the uh, 93 season. Um and they've never won. Uh, the Bucks even first playoff win since they won the Super Bowl 18 years ago. It, a lot of streaks. I feel like the Ravens are now an under the radar team. I think, you know, they can just go about their business. I think Buffalo is the new hot team as it pertains to this game. I think a lot of the hype will now be on the Bills, um, and rightfully so in some ways. And I think that's because X's and O's wise. I think what is going to be challenging. And this is probably a little too obvious, but, uh, you know, Josh Allen has developed into a really, really, really good quarterback. Uh, we haven't seen, I think, a QB take the leap like he has uh, in terms of developmental prospects in a really long time. This guy was below 59% completion this year, and he completed nearly 70% of his passes this year. Um, and I think the other thing that's challenging with Allen that will – you know, Tannehill's mobile, but they didn't really utilize it, I feel like, much. The Titans did. But Allen led the team in rushing against uh, the uh, Colts. And they're not, you know, a, a team that runs the ball particularly well. So I think they're gonna, the challenge with him is just containing him in all phases. Because he can make some weird plays. He can roll out and then bomb it across his body 50 yards down the field. Uh, he's a little less, you know, all over the place than he was his first two years. But I think Josh Allen presents a challenge that even a guy like Ryan, like a guy like Ryan Tannehill doesn't. Just because 
how much, you know, Tannehill's great at the play action, but Allen's so mobile, but he also has a cannon. And then just guarding a guy like Stefan Diggs, who I think's, you know, all respect to AJ Brown. I think Stefan Diggs is a step up in competition. Uh, no one really slowed him down. Guy had 127 receptions, 1,535 yards this year. He a Terp. Um, and, you know, I think trying to find ways to limit that connection from Allen to Diggs is going to be a challenge that even, you know, we can't have, even though they got A.J. Brown under control, I don't know that, like, like if you have, struggle with Diggs early, that might cost you, I guess. Uh, and so trying to limit Allen to Diggs is obviously, I think, A, number one in terms of this game. And I think the focus more on the defensive side of the ball once again. Tim, any uh, X's in that? I, I think your point is really well taken about the emotional aspect that if the season ended after the Bills game, I think most Raven fans and the Ravens facility would chalk the season up as a positive because they won a playoff game. And that sort of back-of-the-mind thought may, may be in there for a game like this. But the other side of it is Lamar knows he can do it. He knows he has done it if he early in the game I hope he doesn't feel sort of the need to press the need to make every play because he knows that he can take things as they come to him and then he can blow up you know run off that 50 yard touchdown run when it comes to him but X's and O's Tim the only thing I I was going to say is I thought this was a mistake and I had to double check it the Bills give up 472 yards per game on defense that's horrendous is not great (laughs) it's i thought that i thought that was like oh no that's probably just like the playoff number because the colts were able to move the ball no no no. that's their season average is 472 yards against so the plays are there to be made and i am very positive about the ravens in this matchup tim yeah it's been better recently um but still the bills defense is nothing to shake a stick at to use that phrase again um yeah, I mean, you guys kind of nailed everything. For me, and this sounds it sounds like a broken record, but the best way to combat these superstar guys like Josh Allen, like Derrick Henry, take the ball out of their hands. This is what the Ravens do really well, and this defense is not good. It was infuriating to watch the Titans' defense step up. Make sure that doesn't happen again. Dominate the offensive line. Uh, dominate the, the line of scrimmage, I should say. And let's get a little more J.K. Dobbins. You know, he didn't have the best game in his first playoff match. There wasn't a ton of Gus Edwards. It was all. It was a ton of Lamar. Let's get the ball down their throat again and take up time and keep Allen off the field. Now, here's the other thing. Look, I think Allen is legit. Brian Dayball is going to be a head coach somewhere because of what he's done with his offense. That offense is scary. But Josh Allen, like... He's been legit this year, but is he going to have a spooks game with the uh, going up against a good defense? The Baltimore Ravens defense is better than Indy's defense. And Indy's defense is good, but the Ravens are better. Is there a chance for a weird turnover? Is there a chance for a trying to do too much? So Marcus Peters comes around the back and punches the ball out. Marlon Humphrey, the same thing. Allen is the king, and he's good at it. And like Lamar, he's very good at it, so you can't fault him for it. But one of these guys who extends plays for maybe too long sometimes. If you get Marlon Humphrey to even limit some sort of digs even a little bit where he's not making a massive impact, that would be a huge boost. And how do you stop Cole Beasley? Because I can see us 
Cole Beasley's banged up, but third and six, third and four, third and seven, they're going to Cole Beasley. Who is going to be the guy in the slot to cover? We saw, and something we didn't mention, saw a a, a healthy dose of Jimmy Smith in this game against Tennessee. That's a good thing. Hopefully he doesn't stub a toe in practice and and misses this (laughs) game. He could be a big factor, or even if you put him outside, you put Marcus Peters on digs, you put uh, Jimmy Smith outside, and you put Marlon in the slot against the Cole Beasley on a crucial third down play, that could be huge for the Ravens. Um, you know, it, so- it sounds sugar-coated, or I shouldn't say sugar-coated. It, so- it sounds basic, the-, the stats and plans I'm giving you here. But you can – the Ravens can get into a shootout with the Bills and win this game, I think, because – the offense might not be as good as Buffalo's offense, but the defense is way better than Buffalo's defense. And there's your margin. There is where you find your advantage in victory. And don't overdo it. Keep it simple. Save some of the tricks for Kansas City if you need them. And just dominate the guys at the line of scrimmage, and that's going to be it. And then, like I said before, defense needs to have another out-of-this-world game. It, it comes with the momentum thing again, but... If the defense has another game, I'll, I'll say this confidently. If the defense plays like they did against Tennessee, we're walking out of Buffalo easily. And we're marching on to whoever it be. Whether it's m and Bank Stadium against Cleveland or, more likely, Arrowhead against Kansas City. Uh, one thing you guys have mentioned, and just my final X's O's point as it pertains to the defense, um, tackling, tackle in this game. Especially if Josh Allen gets running. Dude's huge. He's hard to bring down. <laughs> you got you to hit, you got to wrap, <laughs> all that good stuff. Multiple people, if possible. Um, uh, you know, he is mobile, but he's also a huge target. So put some shots on him. Get to him. Their offensive line's like fine, but it's not that great. Um, uh, they can't run that well. So yeah, I think it comes down to if you can keep Allen under control. And I, I completely agree with you. Buffalo's defense is bad. So I think this is a game you do what you do. Big dose of JK. Big dose of the Gus bus. Let's go win in Buffalo, boys. <laughs> Ravens last year beating Buffalo in Buffalo 24-17. We'll do our, our Ravens pick in the gambling section here. So let's turn to that now. Uh, I can go first. Last week, 2-1-1. One, and one. Uh, I ended up pushing the... Uh, Washington game. We had that at eight points, and that ended up exactly at eight. Picked my Ravens correctly, minus three and a half. They covered that bet and won. Lost my Steelers bet by 700 points, and then uh, got my three-team tees. So I will take a two-one-and-one week, absolutely. That puts me at 29-16 and on the season. This week, I'm taking Green Bay, minus seven. Then I'm on a double down, and I'm going to tease three teams. I'm going to tease Green Bay, get them down to minus one with the Chiefs, get them down to minus four. And then the Ravens, that's going to move them to plus eight and a half. So that's a three-team, six-point tease, Green Bay, Chiefs, and Ravens. And then for my Ravens pick, I am jumping up and down at Ravens plus two and a half. I'm taking the Ravens. I'm taking them to, you want to go money line with the Ravens, go money line. Don't even bother with the plus two and a half. I think they win. I think they outscore Buffalo. I think we come back next week and are a little concerned with the defense this time around because they give up some big plays. They give up some touchdowns to to Josh Allen. But the Ravens offense 
gets rolling like the Ravens' offense can roll. And I see a final score in somewhere like 34-27. That's sort of my range for this Ravens game. And they cover, and they win, and we are talking about the Ravens in the AFC Championship game. I agree with you on our Baltimore Ravens antenna. I am picking them to cover the two and a half, plus two and a half. Ravens as an underdog, there's a few things I love more, uh, especially the Road Warriors, John Harbaugh. Uh, and company so i love the ravens pick too i'm i am significantly more confident somehow going into this game i don't know if i'm just riding high not dreading the titans i feel carefree and i hope the team feels that way too just play your best game and you should beat this buffalo team but um i'm otherwise going with the packers at minus seven um for the reasons we mentioned i just don't think jared goff can keep up even if even if the Packers don't score that many points, is it, what, 24 to 10 final? I, I don't see the Rams scoring all that many points up in chilly Lambeau. Um, I am picking the, uh, the, the Cleveland Browns to cover the plus 10. I've been burned by picking the Chiefs over and over and over again and them not covering as favorites. Um, so I could see them winning, you know, by 8, by 7. Uh, but 10 does seem a lot for a playoff game, even though the Chiefs one year ago won all of their playoff games by 10 points after trailing at some point in the game by at least 10 points. So take that for what it's worth. But I'm going with the Browns. The, the last game, I for if you're a betting man, I would completely stay away because I could see any result happening. But for the purposes of this exercise, I am taking the Bucks plus three at the New Orleans Saints. I don't think... Uh, never count out touchdown Tom. I believe Tom Brady uh, will uh, not lose to the Saints three times. But who knows? Maybe they just have their number or they go into the Superdome and lose like 42 to 10 again. So, uh, you know, I uh, I don't feel safe advising anyone to take that bet. But for our betting segment, the, the pick is Bucks plus three. <laughs> yeah. Um, so last week I lost my Titans bet. I lost my Seattle bet and I pushed my Tampa Bay bet. So not great. Um, I picked all four games this week just just cause to see how we do. I'm actually the least confident in Chiefs minus ten uh, out of all of these picks, just because I think the formula is there, and it's I can see it being very likely of Mahomes having to win this game. Even though I said before that they could be up twenty, I think it's also just as likely that they're down four with three minutes left, and they still find a way to win, and they don't cover those ten points. Um, I like Brady in the points against a guy that he is a quote-unquote rival with who has beaten him twice. I like Brady there. And um, that game is in New Orleans, and there's no fans, so that the Superdome has no impact whatsoever. So give me Bucks plus three in the points. Yeah, Packers minus seven. You guys said everything there, so I'm not, I'm not going to you know add on to that. And I keep doing it, and they keep proving me wrong. I'm not a superstitious man, but I am a little stitious, as the one Michael Scott once said. So I'm taking Bills minus two and a half only because I'm incredibly superstitious. That there's, there's no other justification for it, and I will openly admit that. Outside of the superstitions, Tim, we're not going to hold you to this other pick, but outside of superstitions, uh, I don't know, I, you know, back against the wall, you liking the Ravens in this matchup? I refuse to say anything for lack of maybe ruining my superstition. All right, fair enough. Um, Jace, the last thing left 
is to go through the Random Raven one last time. Can you give us those clues? Yes, indeed. And I have a very slight correction to make on one of my clues, actually. Uh, He's not a cannabis guy? <laughs> no, that's. Uh, I think that's confirmed. But, uh, number one, this player spent parts of three seasons with the Ravens from 2013 to 2015. Oft injured, the offensive lineman missed five games in 2014 and ten games in 2015, his two full-time seasons with the Ravens. He did, however, start all 28 regular season games he appeared in for the Ravens after joining the team in a rare mid-season trade in 2013. He spent the first four-plus seasons of his career with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who selected him with the eighth overall pick in the 2009 NFL Draft out of Virginia. And then the one I need a slight correction on, this noted cannabis advocate's number 60 has not been worn by any full-time player since his departure following the 2015 season. Uh, apparently someone named Randon Cresselis and also a Chase Hansen this year wore 60 at some point for the Ravens. Uh, Talk about random Ravens, yeah, guys. Right. Randon, I don't even think, of. appeared in the game. Chase Hansen is credited with one game this season. Who knows? Was he the long snapper when Morgan Cox was hurt? I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, they have worn number 60, but no full-time guy has worn 60. And then my bonus clue, in case you all needed it, was... The Ravens drafted Ronnie Stanley to replace this player in the 2016 NFL Draft. I have I have a hunch. I'm pretty confident. Tim, do you want to take... Uh, I think I took the last one. Do you want to try to take this one? Sure, yeah, why not? Um, I know who this is. 60 has got to be... You know, this could be an off-season topic. The worst football numbers. <laughs> you know, 40, 46 is up there. 60, just a bad number. 60. Also, 48 for a linebacker, but I love you, Patty Queen. Um, this is Eugene Monroe, who... I remember being injured, but I thought was there longer and thought he wasn't injured for 10 games in one of his three seasons. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I, he seemed like he, maybe this was when I was so locked into the Ravens, like uh, still, I mean, like I am now, obviously. I, I, I had a drift there in the, uh, the late Flacco years where I wasn't watching every, every single game. But uh, yeah. Eugene Monroe, 28 games, they missed both the playoff games that year They in the, in the 2014 season. I could have sworn he played way longer and way more with the team, but I guess it makes sense why they felt they needed to draft a tackle. But, yeah, his career ended, he was 28 years old, and they never played for another team again. But, um, I don't know, seems solid in his time with Baltimore. I agree with you, 60, a very weird number for a left tackle, especially. Uh, but, yeah. I for, I had forgotten this about him until taking a quick Wikipedia dive this afternoon, but uh, of his noted uh, marijuana advocacy and how he he at least thinks that was led to part of his release by the Ravens and some bad feelings that ensued. But no, it wasn't his massive contract number for a guy who couldn't. Stay yeah, on the who field. played sure twenty eight games in three seasons. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, Eugene Monroe. So I the uh, a, a weird bridge gap guy probably the reason we think of him being with the team longer than he was was because left tackle was such a revolving door after ogden retired that uh just to have one guy even if he kept getting hurt in place for you know three seasons uh made it seem like he was there for a lot longer than he actually was but yeah eugene monroe random raven of the week that's a fantastic choice jace and that's gonna do it i want to keep talking here i want to keep going for another hour and a half but that's gonna do it for us we're we're ecstatic about the ravens playoff win about lamar 
getting off the schneid. And now it's time to take that next step. Time for the Ravens to make the serious chase towards the ultimate prize. And we hope to be here next week to talk about another Ravens playoff victory for Jay Sevens and Tim Horsey. I'm Antonio Barbera. Have a nice weekend. Enjoy the game Saturday night. We will see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.